Welcome. You're listening to Latin Waves with your hosts, Sylvia and Stuart Richardson. Latin Waves is more than just hot rhythms. This is a show about community, about creating a culture that is inclusive and based on fairness. Because everyone deserves dignity, respect, and has something to contribute. A new world is possible, and it all starts with us. I am delighted to be joined by Arnold Agus. Arnold Agus is a prolific author. He's written many books on Cuba and democracy in Cuba. He's also um, a journalist who has been closely following um, the elections in Latin America, but also different democratic processes. Thank you so much for joining us, Arnold. It's a pleasure for me to be with you once again, Sylvia. You know, 2020 has been an unusual year for many reasons. Uh, many people will be talking about pandemic. But for Latin Americans, I think our greatest concern has been the pandemic of democratic intervention. You know, how many of our democratic processes have been halted by coups, by, you know, foreign interventions. Can we talk a little bit about your uh, analysis of the Southern Cone? The issue of pandemic and elections, interference in elections or whatever, I think it's an important point. Of course, we can start here uh, right at home. Uh, before the uh, pandemic broke out, if you recall, uh, in, in February or at the beginning of this year, there was a major uh, struggle ac across Canada led by uh, the indigenous nations with wide support from all sectors of society in support of the demands of, of the uh, uh, Native nations to maintain their land in the face of encroachments by uh, the Trudeau government and the uh, uh, monopolies that he is supporting to go through the uh, lands of the uh, Native nations. And this, you know, resulted in what we know now as the uh, shutdown Canada movement, which was very successful until it had to be temporarily stopped with the uh, coming uh, with the uh, pandemic coming up at the same time um, during the pandemic the uh, Trudeau government uh, used the uh, the covid-19 uh, as an excuse uh, to call various governments uh, for example in latin america uh, such as colombia peru uh, honduras uh, expressing so-called concern about the spread of COVID in these countries, as well as in others, such as Brazil. But at the same time, in these conversations, more often than not, he would drop what I would call his bomb. He would say, well, we're interested in COVID-19, and we also have this common interest in the, uh, the issue of Venezuela. That is what they would call the uh, illegal Maduro regime in Venezuela, and what Trudeau and his partners in Latin America under the auspices of Trump, one would have to say, should do to, uh, to change the situation in these countries. And during, during this last year, the you know, uh, pandemic of 2020, uh, it led uh, from the uh, overthrow uh, by uh, United, United States, Canada, and other countries of the legitimately elected government of Evo Morales, which led to about a nine-month uh, vicious um, uh, racist attacks, massacres, killing uh, Boliv Bolivian people almost throughout 11 months. At the same time, 
the Bolivian people, despite the hardship, despite the fact that they had no real defense except aside from their own hands, despite the fact they were fighting in COVID-19 situation, actually forced the government, the Bolivian coup government, to hold elections, even though they were uh, eventually uh, postponed on two different occasions. And then I think the world knows, or the world who follows maybe alternative media knows, that there was an um, important event took place where the Bolivian people, led by their uh, movement for socialism in Bolivia, uh, actually won the elections. Not only did they win the elections, but they won the elections in such a clear manner that the uh, United States, Canada, and others had no option to recognize that uh, victory that took place at that time. So one of the things is, of course, we recall that uh, uh, what led to the coup against Evo Morales, it was the false accusation by the United States, Canada, the Organization of American States and their allies in the uh, Lima group, that the election, uh, the election of uh, uh, Evo Morales a year ago was, uh, was, was, was based on uh, false uh, information. The elections were fraudulent and all that. But the history has shown, Sylvia, that not only were, was uh, Evo Morales right uh, a year ago, that the elections that he claimed to have won were won because many studies have shown this the case. But the important thing is, historically, the, that movement led by Evo Morales, Movement for Socialism, won was such a, a, uh, an important uh, majority that confirms that the accusations against Evo Morales and his movement were false a year before that. You're you bringing us to this moment, you know, where we're seeing not only the rapacity of imperialism and how it, you know, it crosses borders, right? It's happening here in Canada. Colonialism mm -hmm. is alive and well, um, mm -hmm. but also how resistant and resilient people are, you know, whether it be the Wasuitan people here in, in Canada or in Tudor Island, or whether it be the people in Bolivia, you know. So can we talk a little bit about the significance, though, this victory in Bolivia will have as we face an upcoming election in Venezuela on December 6th? This is one thing that U.S., Canada, Europe can never accept, that people in the South can govern themselves. I know it's very obvious they are interested in natural resources, such as in, uh, oil and gold, as far as Canada is concerned, in Venezuela, lithium in Bolivia, and many other factors, natural resources. But what bothers them is that what is blocking their access, unlimited access to the natural resources and the ability of banks, such as the Bank of Nova Scotia, to invest and control of these countries, that with this consciousness that people can govern themselves, this is a major roadblock to gaining controls of these countries. Now, the Venezuelan, Bolivians, and Cubans, they know that. But United States, Canada, and Europe, they also know that, that this is what is blocking their access to uh, these, uh, these natural resources. I, I don't know if you recall, uh, President of uh, Tessa, um, uh, who's the main manufacturer of electric cars in the world uh, based on lithium extracted in Bolivia 
to uh, uh, build these uh, electric cars, batteries, batteries for electric cars. He said in an arrogant, arrogant way, one way, uh, uh, regarding the accusation against him and others that they were behind the queue the coup against Evo Morales. What did he say? Well, we will coup wherever we want. This is how arrogant they are. We will coup. What we'll do if we want to have a coup, we'll have a coup. They not, did not deny it. But what? Who did deny that was the Bolivian people, ordinary people, masses of people. And I would like to say, uh, uh, with regards to Canada, if I may, that Canada Trudeau has has been uh, promoting itself that uh, in a sense that it has a so-called a feminist foreign policy. But everyone saw on alternative media, even on mainstream media, the uh, atrocities carried out by the coup government in Bolivia against the indigenous women all over the place. The same thing happened, for example, in, in a, another close ally of uh, Canada, that is Chile. All the time that Trudeau was having friendly phone calls with Piñera, there were widespread uh, attacks by the police against the people. And one of the main targets was women. Women were captured. They actually suffered rape while they were in captivity. And there are many other examples that we've shown across, across Latin America. But you know, these examples and others show the complete bankruptcy of the Trudeau government, uh, feminist foreign policy. Not so long ago in May, Canada was at the center of a coalition to uh, bring down the government of Venezuela. In fact, there was a failed coup, an armed coup in Venezuela on May 5th, 2020. And now, you know, we are continuing to hear, you know, the voices for more, um, you know, the sanctions, for instance, that have killed so many thousands of people. All of these things are, are, are not just... Um, you know, injustice, but they're illegal. They're they're terrible um, aberrations. You know, for people who claim to be democratic and you know peace loving. So let's talk a little bit about uh, not just the influence that Canadian policy has in the world and the responsibility we all have, but why is this so important, particularly in uh, in this region? you know, in Venezuela in particular? Uh, one of the important features of uh, North-South relations, that is Canada-United States on the one hand, and the South, taking the example of Venezuela, even before the pandemic, uh, there was major sanctions carried out by the United States against Venezuela with the clear goal. What is the clear goal? To force the Venezuelan people to suffer and to eventually rise up against its own government. The United States has carried out a large number of sanctions, crippling sanctions, illegal, and the Trudeau government has carried out its own sanctions as well to, to drive with the US policy. The person who worked out sanctions under the Obama government against Iran, he wrote a book called The Art of Sanctions. They actually call it an art. And in it, he says clearly that the goal of these sanctions, whether it's applied to Iran, even though, uh, and Venezuela, even though Venezuela is not mentioned, is the same thing. The goal is to make people suffer. That is the goal. Suffer for what reason? So people will rise up 
against their own government. But in Venezuela, that did not happen. They had a, a very clear aim to try to get the uh, uh, Venezuelan uh, uh, military, the militia, to split from Maduro and try to uh, overthrow Maduro government in alliance with Canada, United States, and the Lima Group. Identity politics, uh, uh, it, it sort of weighs on us like uh, something that is almost impossible to overcome. If you look, for example, in the United States, Biden is thinking of nominating a black person, African-American, to run the CIA. <laughs> now, one of my colleagues in the United States uh, just responded to that by saying, okay, that's uh, U.S. imperials with the black face. And there's so many other examples, especially with the Democratic Party, using identity politics. For what reason? To co-opt the movement, for example, against racism, to make it ineffective, and in fact, to try to subvert it so that the U.S. imperialism, now with Biden and the Democratic Party, can carry out the same politics as Trump, but in a more efficient way. The only uh, difference they have uh, with uh, Trump, as far as the Democrats are concerned, is that he, 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 was, uh, he, was very, he was not efficient. He didn't do it properly. It was obscene. While the United States under Biden is now going to do it in a, in a proper way, uh, through consensus. And Canada is the same thing. Canada is known to use uh, uh, identity politics to try to uh, present U.S. Uh, foreign policy, which is imperialist, present U.S. domestic policy, which is based on genocide against the native people in a fashion that would appear, perhaps to the gullible, to be acceptable because they bring in people from so, what they call so-called minority groups, but to carry out the same policies as before. So as we move to the election in Venezuela, what are some of the things we ought to be concerned and on guard uh, because we've seen how elections in Venezuela have been dismissed by Western countries, you know, in an attempt to not only discredit, but stop the social movement that has started, you know, that started with uh, with Hugo Chavez, but has been continued um, by a population that believes they can create a new world, a new way for other than capitalism. These elections coming up uh, slated for December 6th, in fact, just a little over a week from now, it, they're very important. They're elections to the uh, National Assembly, that is a legislative branch of the Venezuelan government. Now, the international alliance of the United States, Europe, and Canada, uh, they said right from the beginning that they don't recognize the elections because they're uh, what's supposed to be fraudulent and all that. But the point is that uh, the, the, their main uh, uh, point man in Venezuela, Juan Guaido, who was elected several years ago to that National Assembly, and through his position as president of the National Assembly, this was wrongly interpreted uh, by the United States and the Lima Group, uh, and they named him as de facto president of Venezuela while not recognizing Maduro. Now, what has happened is that you mentioned the people-driven um, movements in, in, in Bolivia. The same thing has happened and is happening in Venezuela. After all these sanctions, various attempted coups, the attempt to assassinate Maduro, 
many other examples over the last couple of years under under uh, Trump and uh, and Trudeau and their allies. The people have withstood that. It's really, an, I think, it's an amazing chapter in Latin American history that through all this period, especially since January 2019, when they declared Guaido to be the so-called president of Venezuela, the people have stood firm with their government, but they are in fact their own leaders. You cannot resist the U.S. empire with everything they've tried to throw at Venezuela. If it was, if it was not for the, political, the consciousness and the organization of the people at the grassroots level to defend themselves, to stick to the, their, the own path of revolution that they worked out for, for themselves. Now, these elections are taking place, but the United States and Canada, they don't recognize. This is completely arbitrary because their man is not presenting himself for elections. Why? So because they know he will lose. So there's, the way out is that he is not uh, uh, in the elections. He will lose. And the fact is that there are over 100 political parties uh, participating in these elections on December 6th, and the majority of these parties are actually opposition parties. So what has happened, despite all the attempts by the United States and Canada to, to hold a lid on the movement in Venezuela, they actually uh, succeeded in splitting the opposition. So you have one section led by Guaido, who refused to participate in the elections in order to say it's fraudulent, I was not in the elections, and the others, uh, an opposition parties, anti-Chavistas who are participating in the election. You know that in, in Venezuela now, they even have uh, a public uh, debates among candidates. I, I followed one. In this one of these debates, you had two Chavistic candidates and you, and you had two opposition candidates. Well, in Canada, we know of left-wing political parties uh, in running uh, for elections, they are in generally excluded from these candidates' meetings. While in Venezuela, they took, they take place. There are many other examples to show without any doubt that the elections taking place in Venezuela, not only it, it is going on in accordance with their own constitution, written and uh, adapted by the Venezuelan people, but it is also important that the Canadian government has to recognize these elections. For example, uh, they're very uh, fast to uh, defend or say nothing when the uh, corruption erupted in, in, in Peru, and you had about three different presidents over a period of a week, or you have other demonstrations again in Guatemala against the government there in Honduras. There are many examples, but any of these examples, the Trudeau government has never said anything. They get a free pass, whereas they just are focused on Venezuela, you know, making up uh, unfounded charges that the elections are uh, fraudulent. People who are listening should do everything. We should force the Canadian government to say, to break with Trump, who they say they hate so much, right? And to break with the Lima Group, which is in any case falling apart, because the Lima Group, by the way, some of its main uh, uh, players, such as the Peru itself, Guatemala, Honduras, they're just falling apart at the seams. You know, and Bolivia used to be in the Lima Group when, during the time of the coup, but is no longer 
de facto member of the Libra group. So the Libra group is falling apart. The uh, support for Guaido is completely at, no one supports him in Venezuela. This is the time for the Canadian government to say, okay, we made a mistake. Let us at least discuss. Uh, Jorge Ariasa, who's the Minister of Foreign Affairs for Venezuela, when he spoke to us in, that, uh, in Canada last August uh, on the issue of uh, Venezuela, he opposed very strongly. He explained why uh, Venezuela is opposed to Canada's interference in Venezuela's internal policy. At the same time, Arias also extended an olive branch. Look, Champagne, you have my phone number. Call me anytime. Let us discuss. Canada should at least have the respect for the Venezuelan people, 30 million people and their elected government to open up a dialogue, direct dialogue, as suggested by Venezuela, between, on the one hand, Champagne, Foreign Minister, Prime Minister Trudeau, and on the other hand, Maduro and Ariasa from Venezuela. The, the media in Canada, I'll talk about the mainstream media in Canada, don't, do you not have a, a need uh, to ask themselves, ask yourself, why is Trudeau not recognizing, so far, the elections that are taking place in Venezuela on December 6th. We have to know. And there are people, what, you talk about you know, uh, elections and all that, there are people in, in, uh, in Parliament, especially the NDP and others, who are taking a stand uh, against uh, American foreign policy in various parts of the world, such as in, in Palestine, as well as in Latin America. It, you know, it would be great if these uh, NDP uh, members of parliament who are, seem to be very courageous, if they can speak out in parliament during the question and answer period or any other space available publicly as they already do to say the Canadian government dropped the Lima group, recognize the Maduro government, or if that's too radical for you, okay, how about discussing with the legitimately elected government uh, of the Venezuelan people? Thank you so much for being with us today. There are a lot of opportunities, and I think every crisis offers us an opportunity not only to grow and to become more um, aware of our own world. You know, who's my neighbor, and how am I communicating and sharing information with our neighbors? So um, I think this is also an invitation for us to, to be um, in a time of um, distancing to be community engaged, you know, to be communicating with one another. So can you tell us the name of your book and how can people access more information? My, my third book, uh, it's on Cuba-U.S. relations, but it also deals with uh, Venezuela. The previous book, uh, Cuba and its Neighbor, Democracy in Motion, it deals with uh, the examples on the one hand of Cuba, Venezuela, Bolivia before the coup, because it was written before the coup on the one hand, and on the other hand, democracy and the United States. I think that's my favorite chapter because I think I've been studying American democracy for quite a while. And there I point out the importance of co-optation, how the ruling elite in the United States goes from one political party to another using co-optation. We just gave the example now of a, a black leader, a black head of the CIA, and there are many other examples. They co-op the movement in order to maintain the status quo. Like the Democratic Party is a good example. Who is their main enemy? It's the left. 
you know, you know, the, the Democratic Party did everything to subvert the Bernie Sanders candidacy. But they, that means they fear Sanders, even though he's not really a socialist, but, you know, uh, they fear his thinking, his influence, much more than they, would, they feel Trump. In other words, they would rather have Trump in power rather than the, uh, rather than the uh, Democratic Party led by someone like Bernie Sanders. This is a very important issue for people to learn uh, because, unfortunately, uh, United States is uh, very important in uh, the Canadian media, and they keep on repeating the same thing, trying to present the uh, the Biden administration as something of the left, as opposed to the uh, obnoxious Trump on the right. When really there are actually two sides of the same of the same coin. The Biden administration, if you just base them, base oneself on their appointments, they're going to carry on the same aggressive military and political uh, policy against the peoples of the world, including the people in the United States, against Trump. What is the difference? They say, oh, finally, with the election of Biden, decency has returned to the United States. In other words, for them, the issue of Trump is not so much his policies, his aggressions around the, against the world, his attacks against the uh, African-American uh, population in United States. The problem they have with they have with this Trump is that he was not decent, and thus it gives United States a bad reputation domestically and internationally. And Biden is upholding the policy to have the same policy as Trump or previous governments before that, but it will be more decent. I'm so glad you pointed that out. And uh, given how close the U.S. election was, it is very clear that it's a population very much divided. You know, we have a population where racism, once again, was used to mobilize, to create a lot of disruption. And the harms that have come from this will not soon be dissipated. And yet I, I also feel that Despite who is in the White House, you know, some movements are created by people and people alone are the ones who will um, move uh, society in a different direction. And so it is a responsibility we all must take daily to be part of the movements, you know, to be part of creating a movement that respects human dignity, that avoids, you know, this complicitness in invasion and war in the name of democratic process or in the name of progress, in the name of economic um, advantage. So it, it is people, really, you know, you and I, workers, you know, in, the, in our daily in our daily affairs, you know, how we engage with the world is the world that we're creating. So I, I feel that you're right. We, we have a crisis on our hands, but it, it is also an opportunity, you know, an opportunity to learn from what our brothers and sisters are doing in the South, what, what people are doing with a lot less resources than us, you know, in Venezuela and Bolivia, in other parts of the world. And, and, 
and to learn also that we too have power, as we saw with the Wasuwatin people who almost brought the Canadian economy to a, a halt, right? The, the, the whole um, of Canada was united. Indigenous groups across Canada were in support of the Wasuwatin. And so that, that kind of solidarity, I think, is where our real power lies. Yeah, and in that in that context, uh, allow me to say that the work that you're doing and your radio show is doing uh, now, it's been doing for many years, this is very important because it provides an alternative to in terms of what is going on, an alternative to the mainstream media. And I really am thankful that we have uh, yourself and your colleagues doing this work as well as a similar uh, work that is being done by alternative a website and other media, because without that, it would be a hopeless case. But we have it, and thanks to you, and best of luck. Thank you again, and thank you for being with us today. We've come to the end of our show, Latin Waves. Latin Waves is an internationally syndicated weekly program made available through campus and community stations and available out to the world at www.latinwavesmedia.com.